I'm Jim Carlson and live from our virtual studios around the world. This is Gallup's Called the Coach, recorded on May 26th, 2020. Called the Coach is a resource for those who want to help others discover and use their strengths. We have Gallup experts and independent strengths coaches, our tactics, insights, and strategies to help coaches maximize the talent of or the, the talent of uh, individuals, teams, and organizations around the world. If you're listening live, love to have you join us in our chat room. There's actually a link above me there. I'll take you to the YouTube instance. A chat room there. You can log in. In that chat room, there's three little buttons. Click that and pop the chat out. That way you can get it uh, off your screen in some place where you can see it. If you have questions after the fact, you can always send us an email, coaching at gallop.com. Don't forget, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe. Just do that right now. There's a notification bell that will make sure you get notified whenever we go live. And if you want to listen to this as a podcast, you can just search Gallup Webcasts on any podcast player. For this Builder Talent Tuesday episode, Todd Johnson is our host today. Todd's Gallup's channel leader for entrepreneurship and job creation. And Todd, it is always great to be with you on a Builder Talent Tuesday. Welcome back. Well, uh, welcome. And it's great to be with you on your birthday. Uh, gosh, I'm excited about this. And and as the folks on this call know, and anybody that reads a newspaper or watches a television knows that building and, and rebuilding is more important than ever. And I will not sit here publicly or privately and every, ever, ever wish a guy ate that bat. But he did. And here we are. And the chance to re-energize small business, large business, startups, uh, grow up, shoot ups is it's simply and I know we're all hearing this from a lot of different companies, but it's now more important than ever. So thanks to all those that have joined and for all those that will watch us repeatedly, because I've heard that's an issue with these uh, Builder Talent Tuesdays that will watch us repeatedly uh, in the future. Thanks for your energy and your efficacy and your belief in rebuilding. And uh, God, it's important. I don't want this to be overly breathless. I'm going to spend just a minute because I know on the last call, excuse me, we had some people that weren't overly familiar with BP10. You know, we have some great, great Clifton Strengths coaches. And so just momentarily, BP10 is a result of a guy named uh, Don Rumsfeld who challenged us to ask the world what they wanted. And I'm, I'm grossly oversimplifying and speeding up a story, but we did. And what we found out was the world wanted a good job. And God, that's more important now than ever, right? As we think about our well-being and our, and our resiliency and our engagement and our jobs. <clears throat> so we went to work and began studying entrepreneurs because guess what? Entrepreneurs create companies that create jobs. And I I, I beg to find anybody around the world that can diffuse that correlative. Entrepreneurs create companies that create jobs <clears throat> and great jobs. So we took that powerful science we have of studying recurring patterns of thought and behavior that can be productively applied. Of course, those Clifton Strengths coaches have that ingrained in their in their being. Um, and we applied uh, again the same rigor and science to studying entrepreneurs and. We've had a lot of names for the assessment uh, and a lot of iterations over the many years. I think our first launch, Erica, might have been January of 2014. So we've been at this a little while. Um, and the power of the BP-10 is, is really about the understanding your relationship with the demands of building. Okay, Clifton Strengths is how we're going to view the world and attack everything through life. And God, is it foundational and important. The BP-10 is really very vocationally focused. 
around building the talents and, and previous names were demands, functional demands of entrepreneurship, behavioral demands of entrepreneurship. I had this horrific idea once to name it Entrepreneurial Strengths Finder, which confused the heck out of everybody. So we got rid of that one pretty quickly. But um, it's really about giving you a science and, a, and, a, and an intentionality around having a conversation with yourself over the demands of building. And then all importantly, all importantly, you know, conversation with the, with those around you, with your team, be it a co-founder, be it a board of directors or, or be it anything. Um, we do have a correlative graph out there and I'm happy to share it. Uh, I think Jim has the technology to pop it up there. Those are relationships, be it strong or be it slightly less direct or be it zero between the Clifton strengths on the, on the left side. And of course the BP 10 demands a building on the top. So we, we hand this out in our class and we haven't been able to schedule class for a while. So if somebody sends me an email, Todd underscore Johnson at gallup.com, that graph, I'm not going to probably write you a real long note, but that graph will uh, appear in your inbox. Uh, let's just say within the next 24 hours. Todd scientific or not scientific? Absolutely scientific. And I can get into the various, you know, correlatives and I'd rather not because that's much more uh, Sangita's world. But to your very good point, if someone does really want to deep dive into the uh, the research and all the meta-analysis and all the ways we built it, we put the technical report right up on the website. Uh, there was internal debate because that's a whole lot of our intellectual property and our science. And, and I, I will say I lose most debates, but I won that one. And we've got the technical report on the website. Uh, it's been you know endorsed by Frank Schmid. If anybody in the psychometric profiling world doesn't know Frank, then you're not really in that world because he's a preeminent thinker over at the University of Iowa. Very powerful document. It's all up on the Gallup backslash builder.com. Okay, so those were a few opening opening remarks about uh, about BP10. God, I'm excited for this call. Um, a very great friend of mine, a practitioner, I mean, in the streets, sleeves rolled up practitioner, who runs a number of initiatives. One includes the uh, startup collaborative here in Omaha, Nebraska, but she's got her hands in all kinds of things on the coast in terms of venture capital and angel. Um, it, it's really unusual because usually during my introductions, all I do is say really nice, positive, supportive things. But today's a new day. I was gonna say you might've fibbed already. You called today's, it. Today's friend. a new day. So here's the one thing about Erica that I love so much. She and I have had a chance to travel the Midwest, you know, and be on various panels and give talks and and pontificate the the power of builders and talents. And her sports analogies are priceless. And the one I remember the best, we're talking about when the batter's on the second yard line and it swings the ball and he hits it into the sand trap. And people think I'm joking. You can't make that stuff up. And she no. didn't quite get all those sports analogies correct, but the thought was there, the heart was there. And uh, we, we did a slight pre-call and I asked her to throttle back on the sports analogies, but throttle way up on, uh, on, on how she's using and uh, understanding the power of talent. Erica Wassinger, um, pretend, remember that Wall Street Journal? I forget who does it, but she does the interviews on the elevator. Okay. Yeah. I want you, I'm giving you 12 floors. And I think I gave the last guy nine. So you get an extra three floors 
Great. To introduce yourself. We just got on the elevator mm -hmm. and then we're going to dig into the topic at hand. Erica, nine floors. I just pushed the nine floors. Oh, no, 13. 12. I, thir 13 floors. I'm Erica Wassinger. I uh, have made my career, especially over the last 10 or so years, but longer than that in the making, uh, in the pursuit of radically improving the odds of early stage startups. And so I've been working with the BB10 for a long time. Uh, I'm a huge fan of it because it sits just one step above where I sit in the startup funnel. And uh, Todd is correct. I'm very bad at sports analogies, but I will put them one? in for humor. Are you going to yeah, try maybe. We'll okay. see. It's super fun. Just don't flake Okay. No, they are Four. fun. Tell us again, give us, give us some context in history mm -hmm. about the start of collaborative. I think it's part of the Omaha chamber That's yeah. a setup because I know it is, but tell us about its inception <laughs> yeah. and some of the funders and enthusiasm we have around it. Cause it's yeah. kind of rocking. Well, let's start. I think, you know, there's people from all over the world on this call, right? Which is, yeah. which is awesome to see. Uh, when we took a step back in our market and said, we need more and better quality startups. And that was the problem we set out to solve. And I had um, been working in venture for a while. I was the cliche PR person um, running around selling stories back when media was very different. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got into the operational side and the investment side of startups. And I realized that what we were doing in Nebraska, we were producing pretty good startups, but just not nearly enough of them. So we had to figure out how to scale everything up. And so at the time, um, you know, I took my business that I'd been running with a local venture capitalist. We took an accelerator and convinced the Omaha Chamber, which in our market is an economic development organization, uh, to throw away the playbook that they had been running in entrepreneurship and go all in on what we were doing. And my disruptor talent is very high, yeah. as is my confidence. <laughs> so those thankfully two. those played well for us here. But what we ended up doing was help really lean into the cultural assets of our community. So our community, we are in the backyard of Warren Buffett. So we are very, very value investment focused. We are pragmatic and um, we're incredibly risk averse, truthfully. Um, failing in Nebraska, and I don't know how this compares to other markets. I'd love to see this, this conversation in the chat, but failing in Nebraska is, is more than just a hit to your bank account. It's a reputational risk. And so we had to figure out how to mitigate those psychological factors as well as the actual quantifiable objective metrics of creating good startups. So we created the Startup Collaborative. Some of my colleagues are on the call, uh, Mitch and Cameron. What we do is we work step by step with someone who raises their hand and says, I think I have an idea, question mark. Should it go up or no? Oh. Um, and we work with them to figure out, is there a market for your idea? And so really what we've been doing to determine if there's a market for your idea and how to create the market around that idea leans really nicely into the BP10 because Todd, I, I think I can steal your words here, but the BP10 correlates really well with the ability to create a customer, not necessarily the ability to just innovate. And so we've done pretty well. I mean, we've worked with several hundred entrepreneurs over the last couple of years. Um, objectively, we have improved the quantity and quality of deal flow in our state. Uh, we have been using the BP10 throughout the entire process. It's part of what we consider our due diligence in helping form teams and making investment decisions. We found and this was early research, probably now dating back 12, 15 years ago. The problem with these startups and these these initial early 
ideators were <clears throat> they gravitated towards people that look like them, think like them, act like them, and talk like them because guess what? That's what freaking human beings do. And it's called human nature. And it's easy and it's safe and it's comfortable. And Eric and I are kind of wired the same. So we should just go build something together. And the reality is, while that might be safe and comfortable, it uh, it might not be best for the business. And mm -hmm. so talent diversity and uh, just a plug for next month's show, but we're going to have Dr. Sangeeta Bottle come on and unveil some of the uh, the all-powerful research that that simply validates what we all know and what Erica and Mitch and Cameron and Nathan, that whole group have proven is uh, you're just a better team. God, that sounds so breathless, but you're stronger, your performance, your chance of success is exponentially. And again, we're going to quantify this for everybody better when you have talent diversity. We, we simply know that um, diversity is an all powerful uh, mechanism within building economies and, and most figure out and everybody knows stories of great companies and can see the power of those founders, even though one might be the, you know, the showcase and the, the celebrity, the rainmaker that we all celebrate, but show me a company that's growing without a conductor and an expert next to it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'll poke holes all over that, that model and they probably won't be around. And everything I just said, and I'm going to finish here is probably, I don't know, 47 to 58 percent more important than six months ago. I mean, yes. hopefully people are watching some of the research coming out of the Gallup Labs, but understanding your strengths to build, having the ability to stay in your lane gives you engagement, which ultimately is highly correlative towards resilience. And guess what? Resilience in the face of crisis is really important. Talk a little bit about because I know I've had the chance to meet a great number of your portfolio, not everybody. God, you've got some big talents in there. Do you have any stories or examples? Oh, absolutely. Talent diversity. So, you know, we sit in the very, very early stages, like I just described. We're we're helping an entrepreneur figure out if there's a market for their opportunity and then get to their version one of product market fit. So in the venture capital scene, we sit at pre friends and family or angel capital up to series A. And we're still trying to figure out where we exit stage left on startups. Um, we're sort of, we're a little too ingrained on some of our teams. But our what we see typically when that early person raises their hand and they identify that market is we see a lot of rainmakers. We have a really high number of rainmaker CEOs, um, which I think correlates across the board. Um, I was doing an assessment. We've done hundreds of the BP10s across our portfolio. We have about 60, 62 or so active companies in our portfolio right now. <clears throat> and when I was looking, Jim, your, your look was perfectly judgmental and we are on record saying we will be good. But we- I don't know where that came from, but keep going. <laughs> well, because you were naughty, Todd. You were naughty and he oh. sternly looked at you. Yeah, I know. So you got to stop. It happens every time. Sorry. <laughs> it happens every time. But what I was saying is that when I look at some of the, t the recurring talents I see in some of these CEOs, I see high disruptor. I mm -hmm. see high uh, confidence, selling, relationship, and profitability are usually the five that I will see across their top four more frequently. Um, mm -hmm. What's been interesting is, you know, if we have that as the CEO typically in our 60 or so companies, um, the second employee or the, the co founder that will tend to join tends to be a conductor. Wow. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it, you know, I don't know if it's the conductors need to move quickly to check things off their list to get to an outcome, what it is, but that conductor really helps support the vision of the rainmaker and execute it, which in the early phases, execution is how you win. Um, the third hire, or sometimes more of the technical talent, because we sit in a software space, can be um, that expert. So we have a couple CEOs that are expert rainmaker dual, they sort of straddle CIR yeah. level there. Um, but that's how it plays out with us. We do see it's the confidence and the disruptor that's real high in our early stage CEOs. Yeah. And think about how awesome, and I'm just going to get in trouble yet another time, but think about how different that is in some of the history mm -hmm. of our NSF and our mm -hmm. SBIR granting. Let's just mm -hmm. pick on the 80s and 90s when yeah. we, we loaded up everything on the experts, mm -hmm. on the technologists, Mm -hmm. And and we didn't really give the same credence or precedence to a customer or to mm -hmm. a manager. Think of the conductor as a manager. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why, according to their validation, not even independent, 80 plus percent of that stuff never got out of the laboratory, never got out of the university basement. It, it's interesting you bring this up, Todd, because we um, <clears throat> so Todd's worked with me for a long time. And, and we've uh, just like any great startup, we've messed with our benchmarks. What if, what if we did this? What if we experimented here? What if we did it like this? And one of the more recent experiments that we made was in, in our 15 levels to basically become a series A fundable is what we say that due diligence accounts to. You don't make it to all 15. It's not like a check the box thing. It's completely dependent on how the market reacts and if your team can form with diversity. But what if we started earlier? So say level one and level two, it's all about talking to the market and figuring out if the, the opportunity that you think exists does exist. What if instead of saying everybody's initiated before level one, we don't initiate anyone until they've proven the market opportunity? God. It felt really? like a huge risk. Say it again. Okay. I mean, yeah. you, think, you yeah. think customers are an important part of the startup world, Erica? Do I, are you on record I saying mean, that? I frequently holler, if not scream, customers make company, code does not make company. Dang. But I know that Cameron is on this call and Cameron would probably be the best to write in some notes in the chat about the, the changes we've seen. So we said, we're not initiating you until you talk to say 20 customers, 20 potential customers and, and figure out if the problem you thought existed exists for them too. Uh, so, if we see 100 applications in a given month to join the Startup Collaborative, by simply moving that bench from saying you join before you talk to them or you join after you prove the market adoption, we cut about 75% of the ideas. Uh, so, of the ideators. God bless them. Um, but, bless yeah. them. Or, um, you know, we lovingly call them entrepreneurs. We need yeah. them. We need their innovations. Um, but but they're not, they're not going to create customers. And for us in Nebraska, where value investing is important, where objectivity and business modeling is important, where it, there is a bend right now to be more revenue focused. And we're seeing this not just in Nebraska, but I think across the country, there is a large slant, thanks to the pandemic, to have strong unit economics. Um, we have to figure out if they, this entrepreneur can talk to a customer or not. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Johan asked a great question. What can the CIR tell you about those who start up? Um, we started after we made this shift. 
What does so CAR we, mean? Well, I always mess it up, but I think it's it's coach's I, insight report. Thank you. And no I, I tell Christy to get oh. me the RICs and the CRIs. I get wrong CRIs and all that, but it's and let me digress because again, we have some new folks on the call. We have a special report only available to BP10 mm -hmm. trained coaches, of which Erica and her team are, mm -hmm. that gives talent intensity to the 10. And what was it? Maybe a year ago, we added talent intensity of the Rainmaker conductor and expert. So the report you get off the website, we call the development report. It's rank order. It's, we mm -hmm. think, very valuable. Uh, but it's, uh, you can't delineate the intensity. Think mm -hmm. Clifton Strengths. I have a Clifton Strengths report in my office, which I haven't been there for two months, in my drawer, that has the scores on it because we experimented with that early on. And we decided to make that assessment purely 100% development. And you know, only a, a handful of those that Don studied uh, actually got their scored reports. In the BP10 world, we've we've uh, it's it's beyond experiment, but we do avail a, a coach's insight report that Erica's referencing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. gives your intensity to the 10, and then it benchmarks you against the most powerful entrepreneurs. I think it's a top 25 in our database. And then Joe Cheeseburger, general population. So never once in the CIRs, and there's actually a great uh, Builder Talent Tuesday with uh, Monique Bach up in Montreal. And we do, we do the whole hour on just how she uses the CIRs. So if anybody wants to go back into the archives, that's a really good one to watch. But, um, and then we, we spend time in the course. And of course, we, we have such incredible trust in the efficacy and, and sophistication of folks like Erica and her team on how to use that data. Can and you say we, that again, Todd? No, I'm just uh, no, it's recorded. You can cut yeah. just that out and put it on your Facebook yeah. and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but didn't we had an interesting call with some of your folks yesterday with someone who had a lower score. And I think it was uh, a really insightful. We do caution CIRs to stay very private and public. Uh, he, he chose to bring this out, which I thought showed high confidence. And uh, obviously a very talented builder, but um, talk a little bit. Okay, so that was my big interruption. Talk about it. So the, Johan's question was a little bit about, is this a, and I, if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, Johan, correct me, but is the CR, CIR um, useful in predicting the company's success? And I would argue it's a variable that should be considered. Yeah. So um, when we look at the teams that we have formed or when a CEO comes on and needs a co-founder or in, in certain examples, we have actually formed entire teams based on their CIRs. Um, it does improve speed. It improves ability to communicate. Um, Todd, you've given me some metrics before on, on just its long tail prediction on that company's success. But as an investor, we use it as an important variable in this company's survival. Do we think that if the, the higher the number or the higher the intensity against certain things and the more diversity of roles that we see, um, we have seen it improves the likelihood of success for that company. But no 30-minute assessment should ever be the end all. And, mm -hmm. and as proud as I am of the science and the rigor of this one, um, no 30-minute experience on the internet should be a yay, nay, yes, no, stop, go. That's oh, a fallacy. No. And so I do appreciate the sophistication in which you uh, you account for it, but it's been uh, it's been really fascinating because we have 
always taken a stance that the CIR will not be a gating criteria for joining the startup collaborative. Okay. That's a hard and fast stance. We do see a very strong correlation between those that can meet the customer-driven outcomes and the higher the CIR. And so I, Cameron, again, I'm going to pick on you, but I don't think that we have seen anyone that has come through that is not significantly above general population or well into the top quartile um, since we added the ability to take a self-assessment, really get to know their strengths and talents, and then initiate them or officially onboard them into the portfolio after they've talked to 20 to 25 customers. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not selection per se, but it's extreme validation of mm -hmm. the hypothesis that talent is important. I mean, Absolutely. I hope we, I hope we get Absolutely. that one recorded. And it's not the only variable. It's a complete fallacy. And I'm not going to get off on the ecosystem thing because, you know, somebody in a developing world without running water is not going to have the same chance of a high tech company that somebody would have in you know, Bellevue, Nebraska, it's, that's, that's simply fallacy, but that all was, things yeah. considered, if you have the choice of, um, leaning in on, on talent intensity, uh, all things considered, probably not a bad bet. Mm -hmm. uh, you give us some stories about, I know we've got some major investor sponsors and you put some teams in yeah. place and. Oh gosh, we have like the best, the best investors. Um, so one of them that I am don't name them. No, I will because they're oh, so good. Okay. Um, they continuously shock me because at face value, I have two investors like this. One is First West Roads, a large community bank here, mm -hmm. and we went into First West Roads. And if you saw our our key investor there, his BB10, you would understand why he agreed to this. I hadn't seen that prior to, but we went in and said, "Hey, we want to, we want to mm -hmm. invest in early stage startups," and we want to improve their odds of success. Now, in most banks, you're kind of kicked out. Like, thank you, exit stage laugh for that lovely idea. We're not going to give you money to do that. But first, Westroad stepped up to the plate um, and made our fund available. After knowing a little bit more about our investor based on his builder profile, it made perfect sense. He's a disruptor. He's a legacy um, sort of relationship guy. This is in his DNA. Um, another investor that we have that I... I'm always shocked that they keep doubling down on all of our experiments. They We keep getting better. So I guess I'm not that shocked, but man, they're good to us, is First National Bank of Omaha. So this is the largest privately held bank in the country. It's, okay. it's a big dog here. Uh, this bank is looking very specifically at how they create the next innovation. This is the bank that came out with the widespread adoption of Visa and other things. So this bank has legacy and innovation. Um, First National has partnered with us over the years to sort of iterate and figure out what does that look like in our backyard. <clears throat> and most recently, they put together sort of a skunk works team. So a team that was going to go deep on a very specific market opportunity, and they were going to build a proof of concept around it. Um, it happened to be one of the bank's largest um, profit centers. It happened to be one of their, uh, I would say, most legacy line of customers. Um, 
and the bank said, can you help us find the right talent? We, we need some strong interns. We need a good pipeline of the university system in here. How do we do this? And what's been great about it is we've got great relationships with our local universities, of course. Uh, we went into the universities and found some really great builders. Um, we found two exceptional rainmakers and two exceptional conductors um, who have helped First National Bank of Omaha talk to hundreds in this customer segment. And I wouldn't say have completely rewritten what they thought the, the proof of concept would be, but far more intentionally informed it. Um, and this team, thanks to our point of contacts over at um, First National, has a really nice line of um, communication directly up to the C-suite. So we've seen it work really well in those situations where proximity and closeness to your customer with the intention of building um, pays off significantly. Now, here's my infomercial. I've been with that bank for 30 years and <clears throat> their customer orientation, which just started at the top, is mm -hmm. I've given speeches in a lot of different places and I have numerous examples of the customer orientation that surges that bank. And if you think about it, financial services is a bit of a commodity. So differentiating between the power of your customer relationship and you can't finish an email uh, chat with their leadership, Clark, and where he doesn't say thank you for being a customer and being an engaged mm -hmm. customer. And, and I mean, that orientation surges that bank. So my mm -hmm. guess is the, the gravitation that they found towards the startup collaborative and the focus on customers. And, and it's okay. And I'm going to get in trouble for the fourth or fifth time today. It's okay if customers pay for services. Okay. I know the startup world kind of dismisses that because if you just have a big database of users, then you can sell it for a billion dollars and buy a boat and be an angel investor. I don't know. Was, We're starting to see happens. a shift there. We're was, seeing a shift. I was aiming at some others, but you, everybody knows what I'm talking about. We think customers and paying customers are a really important part of the free enterprise. And uh, so we love big databases of users, but I still can't for the life of me figure out where the sustainable business model is if nobody ever puts down their credit card or... or well, uh, and Todd, you're card. hitting on something important here. I mean, if we're talking about the surging, surging levels of unemployment we're seeing, where are we going to create new jobs and where are we going to create sustainable jobs? Um, I like the jobs in the knowledge economy and that is where net new young firms come in. And so the identification of those that are innately built to build becomes an important piece of this equation as we think about not just recovery, but acceleration of where we're going. And I, I have to commend our chamber and our chamber leadership. Um, you know, they're doing a lot of work right now and they've announced some of it, but the the stuff behind the scenes that I'm probably not supposed to talk about, truthfully, but the stuff behind the scenes is honestly um, a bit more exciting when we think about our state um, starting to punch well above our weight in terms yep. of creating new, young, high growth, knowledge centric companies. And I'll plug the chamber because people, some people think I'm on their payroll because I'm so proud of it. But, and, um, I think there were 6,400 chambers across North America. We were, right. something, I think that's about right. Little ones, big ones, and, and lots of great ones and everything. But we were awarded the number one chamber in the country. What was it, three or four years ago now? Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a big deal. And so, yeah. 
you know, during the recession, I remember hosting people at Gallup and they're all like, you guys, didn't you hear there's a recession? I see all these cranes and you guys are building stuff and you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're opening stores and, and, and creating customer energy everywhere. And we, I remember somewhat sarcastically saying, we decided to sit that one out. And a lot of that leadership and confidence was absolutely emanating from our chamber. So mm-hmm. um, I think Todd, it, it comes back to the culture of our community, right? Like we, uh, we started making investments into early stage, net new young companies um, about 12 months ago, maybe 15 on the high end. And the value investment, the pragmatic, the build with the customer in mind and in reach yeah. um, way of building businesses here has helped this, this economy weather a lot of storms. And I would say, although it's still very early in the pandemic and, and we're not really clear on when everything's going to, to don't take it itself. back to normal because it won't. Yeah, no, I don't. Well, and I think I think we'll end up more resilient on the other end of this. Mm-hmm. When I look at our investment portfolio, we're still seeing growth and gains in revenue. We're still seeing growth and gains in users. We're still seeing growth and gains in engagement. And I I have to attribute these founders and these builders of these companies with their determination, high high determination. That's ratcheting up quite high right now. Um, and their relationship skills. They're working really hard to figure out how to support the customers that they they need to, to, to get out on the other end of this well. I have more, I've had more Zoomy calls in the last two months than I had in the previous year, okay? With mm-hmm. people that are seeing, with coaches, predominantly coaches, who are seeing incredible opportunities mm-hmm. in this horrific, you know, dumpster fire we call the pandemic. And sorry for all those mm-hmm. technical terms, but the the reality is, figuring out what lane you should be in, who you need around you. And in a, if you have a business reinventing it a little bit because you're in, you're at home and maybe you have time to re-engineer and refine. Yeah, I agree with what you said a minute ago. We'll be better. We'll be absolutely we'll stronger be more and, resilient. And, and more resilient on the other side of this thing. And I, I just think the strengths uh, science is going to become more essential in that regard. Um, people know I'm a pretty proud Gallup guy. I'm celebrating 25 in two weeks and we're, 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 we're watching our nickels so closely. I'm not getting a watch or luggage. We're going to just save that mm-hmm. until after the austerity is over. I totally digressing. Yeah. I've got, I've got well, no, let watch. me, let me give you a couple examples of what you just described here. Okay. So okay. let me talk about Andrew Prasai. Andrew Prasai is what you call a top quartile builder. Let me, let me look at his intensity report right now. We've got high intensity and knowledge, risk, independence, delegator, determination, disruptor, and relationship. Wow. Those are his top, he's in the top quartel across those talents. <laughs> Andrew Pastai and his business partner created a um, tool that helped event marketers, this was last year, event marketers get their events to the niche audience that cared about it most more quickly and more easily. In an old era, they were posting across 10 different websites. It took them a few hours. It, they couldn't really sort of reconcile the attendee list, all the things. It was terrible. COVID hits. Guess what gets hit hard? Events. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? So rather than Andrew Pastai saying, I guess I'll sit on my thumbs for a little bit, yeah, what he ended play. up doing was calling every single one of their customers. So they called every single event organizer and small business that had been curating things and said, let me walk you through how you're gonna take your stuff digital. 
Let's wow. figure out what the first month looks like. And then what he started doing was going to small businesses, think restaurants, think retail. I'm gonna teach you how to create pop-up events that are digital first. He has seen such great growth and he is so well poised. He, in Omaha, for those of you that are not um, subscribers yet, go to eventvesta.com. I'll leave it to Mitch or Cameron to put that plug in the chat and, and hop on because he has found a way to make lemonade out of all of this. And it's been absolutely um, a privilege to watch him shine right now. I Absolutely. have another founder in our portfolio. Her name's Abby. Abby um, is the founder of Chant Bags. So again, another event-based <clears throat> company, historically. Abby hated that plastic bags, which were stadium and school required, were made out of PVC, which is arguably known as the poison plastic. Hmm. So she created um, with Nebraska growers, a better plastic, a safer, more environmentally friendly plastic. And she wants to see these large scale events and experiences go to a more sustainable way. So we're not creating more trash than the largest cities in Nebraska after a game day. So that's her mission. Well, COVID, what do you do? She has since shifted to take her bag, which now is really easy to clean off. She's added face masks and she said, here's an easier way to just be sure that your stuff is clean and that it's safe for you because healthcare institutions and other essential employers are now requiring clear bags. So these founders, this is the champbrand.com. Mm -hmm. They are finding really, really interesting ways completely rooted in their customer persona Amen. to re hone their business model. And it's all about the customer persona. I have another pair of top quartile builders, Jessica Charleston and Gina Piccarella. Um, Jess is the rainmaker. Gina straddles both conductor and expert for her rivaling top roles. Um, they created a company called Job Share Connect. So job sharing is a very prominent practice in Europe. Um, in fact, it was part of the New Jersey stimulus plan. But what it is, essentially two people, one role, you get flexibility in hours, um, you get benefits, but you still get you know, somewhat of a reduced pay, but you get more of your life in balance. And this spans across the different, different um, segments of people. This could be people retiring, millennials that love to travel, new parents, et cetera. For the employer, they end up getting almost two to three X the productivity from these two part-time people paired up. Love it. So that was that was a big educating the market play that they were doing before. Um, COVID hits and employers now, their job, their customer persona is having to make really difficult decisions about furloughs, about pay cuts, about layoffs. And Job Share Connect has, has rode in like a white knight to these employers to say, don't lose that talent. You have worked so hard to keep them. Um, by the way, some of them are really struggling with the, the hourly requirements as it is in this COVID work, work from home world with no childcare or otherwise. Um, job share might be your opportunity now. So I like watching these builders um, lean into knowledge, relationship, determination, disruptor again and again and again. Um, you're almost seeing those skills have a multiple effect. Yeah, in in this environment. And again, mm -hmm. nobody wished it on anybody, but nope. you can sure god I've had some phone calls in the presence of talent that you get off the call and you're just 
more elated and enthusiastic and excited for them than ever. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be darned if that doesn't have a really heavy correlation towards talent. I loved your lemonade thing. Total coincidence, but we we're drinking a ton of lemonade in the Johnson house. I think I plug Minute Maid. Because yeah, we were hand I'm I didn't do that on purpose. That was totally unrehearsed. Yep. Eric and I are like sync. We're just so uh, in sync. We're so in sync. And those that know me know I love talent and seeing it in, in action. And they'll uh, fully understand why I'm so excited about the startup collaborative, the chamber. Um, mm -hmm. I think you guys, without getting out of school here, I think you proposed some exciting BP10 stuff to the state yeah. government. Um, we have. I mean, we see. Don't go into details. I'm not. No, but I, I believe that strong economic development starts with entrepreneurs. I firmly believe that. Clearly, I'm biased, but the math well, and the, how about the numbers the show. example validating you. Hello. Yeah. You've all heard me say a thousand entrepreneurs built the damn place. I said it twice mm -hmm. because the whole world was thinking Japan and Germany are going to take over because they figured out quality or TQM or Six Sigma or whatever. And I'll be darned if this country didn't surge. And everybody that's been following Gallup knows that we did some research and found about a thousand entrepreneurs created about 12 trillion in GDP. Well, guess what? The same thing's going to happen on the other side of this thing. We're not going to need 50 years for it to happen. And I'm not sure we can afford 50 years. It's going to happen in the next couple. But cities and states and countries, because everything we've talked about is applicable to Johan in South Africa and, mm -hmm. and our friends in Venezuela and everything. It's going to be those entrepreneurs who figure out what lane they need to be in and who they need on the other sides that are going to win. Well, period. well, and I would argue, Todd, um, economic development as we know it has, has now been flipped on its head. The office as we knew it is now an amenity, not a requirement. So the well, idea that site selector, yeah, I mean, site selector, site selection changed. All these things changed. So for economic development at the neighborhood, city, state and federal level will require a rethinking of how you identify and activate entrepreneurs. And, you know, I like what we have done here in Omaha and in Nebraska, where you guys have helped us identify. We, we've sort of marketed you guys identify and help us cull the herd a little and then activate them. And that, yeah. that is a, that's a regional approach. That's an approach that takes the first nationals that said we can create companies out of this. This takes UNMC, which is the University of Nebraska Medical Center, to say, we've got tech transfer. Can you do something with it? It takes the science of BP10 and the diversity of team formation um, and objectively helps improve our odds, which is all I'm about, especially you know as I start to move my career more toward the investment angle, um, the more certainty or the more variables I can have somewhat of um, awareness to and fewer blind spots around, Thank you. the better my chances are. And ev everything Erica just said about Omaha is as applicable. And we've got, you know, mm -hmm. dozens, if not hundreds now of communities on this call is, is as applicable. So garner up and gather up your builder talents, coaches, and go find somebody at the chamber who gets it and or the state government and pitch something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got all those activities in Born to Build book. They're up on the website. We've got mm -hmm. snappy little videos. I mean, we've we put a lot of stuff out there. We Sometimes it's hard to find, but that's actually a qualifier because when people can find it, they're much more engaged and, and ready to use it. So that was all done strategically. But, but when you can, 
you know, find somebody who gets it, uh, lean in and build a, build a consulting project for yourself in it. At the same time, absolutely, you should be paid for the value you bring. So everything Eric and her team has done here in our little enclave in, in Omaha, Nebraska, absolutely has application and universality because as far as I can tell, there's like three countries who haven't been decimated by this. And I can't name the three because I just made it up. But everybody is really taking big hit on this thing. So the services, the sciences of identification and development, because I can say it because we're in Nebraska, but just weighing a cow doesn't make it fatter. You've got to have an intervention, which is what the TCS does so well. So identify and then develop. God, that model's important right now. I really am wound up about this, Jim. We're going to need I, another hour. Can I, just can, started. can I jump in with some questions? Sure. Uh, to I, I think to get us started here. So, um, one was says, I'm curious if these talents look different based on how they are started or financed mm -hmm. their business. Is there a difference between someone who's operating on venture capital versus someone who has put their own personal assets uh, on the line to start a business? What would something that's something or a question they'd like to hear? Does yeah. it make a difference, Erica? Um, I've seen the talents um, ladder up depending on their financing in this stage of their business. So um, we have one founder who the woman is exceptional at building relationships and has seen great multiples on the, on the value of her company. Um, and she's done it when determination swings high for her and relationship swings high for her. Um, now, if she's heavy in product mode, you know, building out the code or she's heavy in customer facing mode, you might see her knowledge and relationships stay really high. Um, profitability usually goes very high for founders that are trying to raise capital, um, probably because they have to focus on the unit economics and they're constantly defending those. Um, but I haven't seen enough of a correlation to say those that put their own money into it, I would say maybe, and I need to anecdotally look across these, profitability is usually not as high for those that are self-financing versus those that are mm -hmm. having to consistently say, the cost for me to acquire a customer is this, the lifetime value is this, the way I arrived at those formulas. Um, I can give you an example of a company that started. Um, it's largely bootstrapped. I'm really grateful that we get to in invest in this one too. This was one I really wanted on the cap table for. But it's two serial founders. Um, they have built, they built their first business was a deep tech business, um, very deep tech. So I won't even try to explain what it did, but it was eventually sold and acquired um, by Siemens. So they did really well. They came back and said, one of the hardest things for all of us was modeling the financial forecast. Just figuring out how to model it and then how to share it with our investors. And then God forbid the investors would break a single cell in our formula and we would have to rewrite that heavy Excel spreadsheet that we made. So when you look at these two founders, profitability is number one and number two for them. <laughs> it is so high, um, probably because they just had an exit event and because they're creating a company that can justify um, the unit economics over and over again. So I don't know if that fully answers your question on the correlations, but some anecdotes in there. Todd, would you add, add anything yeah, to that? You've heard me say it before, but I'm a firm believer, and this is where, again, we bonded with TSC. The, sometimes the first investor ought to be a customer. And and I think we ought to be careful. I have no problem with the venture capital industry, 
other than a lot of it's throwing darts. And I love that you're not throwing darts. And then, then you hit a big one and say, yay, look, all, you know, one of the hundred darts hit the, hit the, hit the center of the thing. So, um, the focus on, on customer and, and, uh, the first investor, maybe being a customer doesn't always work with some tech things. And I get all that, but pretty important. No, and, Erica, and, yeah. Go ahead, Erica. I was going to say, we're starting to see, um, a lot more no code solutions come about and in, in this no code movement, um, you can get your MVP or your prototype out the door for, for minimal, if nothing, um, dollars. And so I think, That's I don't know, we, we're inclined to invest in companies that have shown that they have convinced and compelled a customer to turn over a dollar for what they're doing. Love it. Love that uh, Todd in the BP 10 world, when they take the assessment, their, their rankings, their intensities are based on their talents, mm -hmm. how they respond to those things, like whether I've invested my own money in this or it's venture capital money, may, that wouldn't change the report in any way, no. right? Their talents no. are the same. How they no. respond to those situations may be different, right? Kind of based on how their talents are, are aligned. That's such Did a beautiful you? point. And it's also one of the reasons that we don't make any judgment whatsoever, both on the development, but also the CIR report because your environment, your reality, be it your business, be it your marketplace, be it your partnerships, is who, who are we to sit back and say recommended or not recommended? And those in our old selection world know what I mean by, by those terms. So we do not ever say, you know, X versus Y recommended, conditional or not recommended in our CIR world, because these realities and these environments are wildly different. I don't, if anybody tries to say this is a silver bullet or perfectly linear, just get up and walk away because they, you shouldn't spend a lot of time with those kind of people because they're not very smart. There's Erica, too many variables. Yeah. Uh, Erica, question for you. Are you noticing a shift towards more sustainable businesses? And if so, do you notice Ooh. anything different about their BP10 profiles? Okay. So this is the one thing that I can say is business as usual in Nebraska. <laughs> like, here is what we are good at. Sustainable businesses that convince a customer to be the bulk of your capital. So I love that about our state. I love that about the pragmatism that we see here. Um, our investment thesis and the TSC methodology has been entirely built upon sustainability. Um, because I can't look an entrepreneur in the eye and say, oh, your runway is running out. Let's just find someone else to finance it. I would much prefer to know that those jobs are safe because there is profits coming in on a more repeatable, um, recurring and predictable way. And so in Nebraska, it's somewhat business as usual. And I love saying that this is literally the only category of the economy I feel like I can say it about. Um, what I've enjoyed is getting a lot more calls from my coastal colleagues that are in venture saying, what did you say the evaluations were? And what is your, what's your due diligence against customer that you do before you make a deal? Um, I think that we're gonna see a major reckoning in venture, um, both on the model itself, as well as what's happening at the IPO level um, and what's happening at the acquisition level. I think the, the database won't sell the same way it used to um, because it's not as, COVID proof, candidly. Wow. I, we have to share our, our chamber mantra and we just added it. We don't coast. Omaha, we don't coast. 
we host. <laughs> I added we host and I couldn't get that, but now apparently we rise, which is also mm -hmm. very apropos. Mm -hmm. um, these questions are great. Uh, uh, we, we are. Let, let me just say one more thing. You said the resources are hard to find and they're not hard to find. Just go okay. to gallup.com slash builder. <laughs> they're all right there. It's not hard to find. Where do you find the, the previous versions? And be careful on the, the catch up calls. I, I noticed the other day on our website, we got to maybe Scott, right? If you're out there, the, the, the builder talent Tuesday is from like two years ago. So we have to somehow refresh because we used to do Jim and I and only Jim and I would do quarterly updates. Well, if you go to the first quarterly update, it's going to be wildly different than, of course, the last one. So some are sequential in nature, the updates especially. Yeah, we there's just, good stuff out there. You and I changed the way we were going to do Builder Talent Tuesday at the beginning of the year. And so, yeah, I, that's a good that's a good reminder. I need to go in and fix that for you guys um, as well. Todd, any any final thoughts, final comments, and thank Erica for I apologize here. for getting wound up about this, but I, I really think – that now more than ever, I know that's so overused, but it's so applicable, helping companies rebuild, not only start, but rebuild, you know, take this downtime and make it take advantage of it. Yeah, there's great Netflix and I've got some recommendations, but but there's a really important time in, in our economy to, you know, if you've had somebody in the wrong lane for a while and you've, everybody's kind of known it, you know, fix it now. And because resiliency is going to require you to gather up your strengths and uh, and lean in hard on the customer. God, I mean, some of our largest customers are in hospitality and airline. I couldn't be more proud of Gallup because we're leaning in as hard as we can on them because they need you now. And by the way, a customer is always going to remember how they were treated during bad times than good. So. I, uh, I appreciate the coaches like crazy. Jim, I appreciate you taking the time out on your birthday. I know there's a cake and, and a whole bunch of people ready to sing for you outside your studio. Erica, you're awesome. Uh, everybody knows that she's absolutely a critical uh, practitioner, evangelist, and just a really good friend to Gallup. So thanks for taking your time and your expertise. Mm -hmm. uh, she's leaned in on other folks around the country who are working on figuring out the success that we've had here. And I know you don't get paid for it, but do know that you get appreciated for it. So you're awesome. Yeah. Thanks buddy. Well, and for those coaches that are out there, uh, Mitch and Cameron and our team at, at the startup collaborative, we're going to be revealing a seven days to start up um, exercise in the next month or so. And it's, it's really those seven days that it takes you to do sort of your personal evaluation. What, what am I great at? What do I know? Well, and, and do I have, what it takes or what I want it to take to start up right now. And so um, stay close to Mitch and Cameron and the startup collaborative.com. Uh, if you would Can like I to join us. Global coaches. Is that the kind of thing I could push out to the global coaches? Please do. Okay. Got, I'll guarantee hundreds will sign up. Erica, if folks wanted to get in contact with you. What's the best way to do that? Uh, go ahead and reach me via email. I'm at Erica, E-R-I-C-A, at startupcollaborative.co. And I'm uh, pretty active on Twitter. You can see lovely pictures of my children on there, too, at Erica R S. 
All right. Sounds good with that. A couple reminders before we go. You guys stay, you guys hang tight for one second. Uh, a couple reminders before we go. That's so difficult website, gallup.com slash builder. If you want to check out all the resources and we'll get the videos fixed. I get you, Todd. I get you on that one. We'll get those videos fixed. If you have any questions, you can send us an email, coaching at gallup.com. Uh, we've got, uh, if you're listening live, we've got just six days till our Gallup at Work Summit, and we'd love to have you join us. If you're listening to the recorded version, 2020 is probably, we had a great time and you missed us. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you were there and it was a good time. 2021 is already in plan, but head at gallupatwork.com. If you are interested in joining us, you could still do it right now. Get signed up. You don't want to miss it. We are setting records on attendance and we, this is one, if you miss, you'll miss the opportunity to say you were the first ever virtual Clifton or, or a Gallup at Work Summit. And so we want you to be there um, as well. Gallupatwork.com. If you want to join us in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash call to coach on uh, LinkedIn. Just head out to Clifton Strengths Train Coaches. And we appreciate that. Erica, Todd, thanks for coming out today to be a part of this. We do plenty of these. And if you want to join us live, gallup.eventbrite.com. With that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>